Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And Anne, this week's episode, while taking place uh, in mid-June, on Juneteenth, as a matter of fact, on some level feels most relevant to April 25th, which suddenly became a very meaningful date for <laughs> a lot of us because it's the new Oscar date. Now, I, I can't imagine a year ago somebody telling us this time last year even you know uh, in the middle of the summer that the oscars would be in april and all of a sudden in just a matter of days it feels like everybody's scrambling to figure out do they move their dates around this thing or not i guess the thing that i found most interesting is that even though we expected something to happen it still feels like there has been so much scrambling almost to the point where people do feel like they've been caught off guard i mean what was most surprising to you about how all this played out in the last few days. It's weird because everybody knew it was gonna change and everybody had heard that it was gonna change by about two months. But the practical reality of an April 25th Oscar show, which is like way more than a month later, really, than the latest Oscars have ever been at the end of, of March. Um, so this is, this is really, um, it, 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 it's like a, a, a tumbling dice or dominoes or whatever you want. I mean, they're cha everybody has to, it's like a whole new calendar and clearly right away, all the awards centric, the, everything that's part of the greater industrial awards complex, if you like, the ecosystem of awards, they all moved and, and BAFTA right away, right on the same day within hours, but earlier, before the Oscars than usual to give people more time to travel, I think. People used to fly out, come back, do overnights, you know, crazy stuff, and do New York, do LA. Do, I mean, I think they're, they're figuring that people are gonna be less willing to, um, to travel quite as, as frequently. And, and then um, the, we're waiting um, on what's gonna happen with things like the Globes. It's so weird that the Globes haven't announced. I mean, you would have thought that the Globes would have been one of the first to make that kind of a statement. I mean, not that the Globes are beholden to the Oscars, say, the way that the Spirit Awards are a day before, but it, it seems sort of strange to have too much of a gap there, right? Otherwise, it, it's like they're going to be completely different kinds of award season calendars. I don't know from a strategy standpoint, when it comes to the films that are vying for attention, how a Globes that's too far away from the Oscars plays much of a role in Oscar season. And if you take the Oscars out of the Globes, who cares about the Globes? I'm, I'm, just, I'm having this fantasy that uh, even though the Critics' Choice um, Awards actually fell in line and they're going to be on March 7th, um, and I'm expecting, fully expecting all the, uh, the guilds to move, although they're in no rush to announce that yet. Um, and even, uh, you know, something like Santa Barbara, which is an awards festival has changed. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating because the Globes are technically a critics group. If you, I know you don't think of them. Yeah, the critics that none of us have heard of because you don't think of that. they write they're, for airline magazines. They're a journalistic enterprise. Uh, they're Hollywood correspondents and they're small. And why, they don't have to go with the Oscars at all. Well, the currency that the Globes have is that everybody gets drunk at a dinner party and it's fun to watch on TV. But at the same time, what are they going to be watching? I mean, here's what's really fascinating about it. The big, bigger picture is we might be looking at a couple of different award season cycles involving different kinds of movies. Because you know, you've got the critics groups probably sticking with their dates, right? Yeah, Eric? this what hasn't been think? determined yet. I mean, if I was 
chair of New York Film Critics Circle where I was for the last, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. I, I did two years in a row. Um, and one year we did choose to move some dates, another year we didn't. So it's always an interesting kind of proposition when you choose to move, you know, how much do you want to be beholden to what other groups are doing, that kind of a thing. And um, I think that it's this year, I, I, I would, if I was leading the charge on that conversation, say an opportunity to completely move in a different direction from what Oscar season might look like. Because the perception is that the, one of the reasons, maybe not the only reason, one of the reasons why the Oscars are later is to save room for certain films that have not had time to, to launch. But if you look at the timing of, of a critics group vote, say in late November, early December, as, as New York Film Critics usually does, uh, there, there will be plenty of films to vote on at that time. And so if you take the, uh, the, po the political concerns that the Academy might have in terms of how to ac accommodate some studio films that might want to be a part of the conversation and have been delayed, uh, there's still plenty of films to vote on from a quality standpoint. So critics groups really have an opportunity, I think, to define their value in this conversation as being completely distinct from, a, from Oscar hype. And maybe that won't always be the case, but I do think it, it is a I'd like positive see, opportunity. I would love to see the critics groups do just that. And part of what you're going to be responding to also are the fall film festivals, which are probably going to stay where they are and are probably going to be moving in the same direction that the Cannes selection did in the sense that there will be big Oscar-oriented movies that are going to move away from the fall film festivals and, and maybe... Um, go to AFI or go even to Sundance, right? Yeah, and, it completely and, upends the nature of the festival circuit. So the fall respect. festivals will no longer be Oscar launch festivals. There may be some titles. I'm not saying it's going to be completely out of the equation, but they may not fulfill that function. None of these people are, are clueless, but they're, they're all in, in a very interesting, challenging moment uh, in terms of how to make strategic decisions because the fall festivals cannot really move up. Once you move up, you, you're running into all these other kinds of things on the film calendar throughout the year. It's just not practical. And it's important to point out, I think, that all of these festivals predated the idea of false festivals being Oscar festivals, right? Telluride is 40 plus years old. Toronto's been around since, since the late 70s. You know, New York Film Festival's been around f over 50 years none of them are, are were, were seen only as Oscar launch festivals. And I, and I think that they can still be really good festivals without those films. So, I couldn't agree more. And I, I should be trying to just go ahead and do it. New York and Toronto are more likely to actually happen. New York has a huge, they both have huge vibrant film communities who support art films and popular films, both. And I think that, that Telluride though, requires all these people to come in from out of town it's to a, a place that's, that's really free, uh, not completely, but very low uh, incidents. Colorado's doing a really good job there. They have to open the theaters. They have to figure out that it's safe. And um, I just don't know. If, if they pull it off, it will, it will be a historic achievement that they pull it off because somebody's going to be able to pull off the, the first festival that happens. And I, and I think I can see the motivation there. If they don't, 
people will understand. Look, we already had a cancellation of the Cannes Film Festival this year. Any other festival not happening would not be this crazy unprecedented thing because we know that this is possible now. So if Telluride doesn't happen, Telluride doesn't happen, those movies will travel and figure out other ways to launch. But and Venice is probably happens. going to be what we said it was going to be earlier, which is a, a European, you know, oriented. Very fashion. Italian focused. That's and, sure. and they'll do their thing and open with the Moretti and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But um, so if we move away from, but, but, but what I'm saying about your critics groups, they could still <laughs> move back a bit though. Move back yeah. from the beginning of December, maybe make it a December 31st deadline and and let all the films open keep it to a calendar year i always thought the critics groups weighed in too early they didn't give you a chance to see all the movies that were coming late well i i think that there has been has been this real push me pull you kind of a thing going on with basically every entity in award season in that we all want a piece of that pie somehow we want to take a little bit of whatever kind of special stuff oscar creates which is uh, buzz it, it, it allows us to throw events it allows us to get media attention, in some cases, advertising dollars, whatever it is, and use some of that to suit whatever our larger agenda is. Critics groups are not immune to that. It allows us to have some kind of currency to vote on the best movies of the year at, at a point in time when films are trying to get attention as the best movies of the year, so that, that generates headlines. So I think it'll be an interesting test in the media cycle if we do the critics groups uh, at a different time of the year with a different set of films and some of the ones vying for Oscar attention with that kind of a gap. Uh, if they generate a lot of conversation about the best movies of the year, great, but they won't be plugged into the Oscar conversation. We don't know, can we still throw, you know, a ceremony and all these kinds of things. So it's still, it'll be lower profile. And, and part of the thing about voting early is trying to have some currency in the larger piece of the equation. But you don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, if, if, that's, if that ends up being the case, I think it's a huge win. Um, yeah. And I think for well, the Oscars, actually, it's a different thing. And I like the idea of, of, the, of the festivals and the critics separating themselves from the larger industrial Oscar complex and making it uh, about the movies themselves free of that. Um, because no matter how much you deny <laughs> that Oscars are not what you're thinking about, it usually is what you're thinking about. Well, it's impossible not to unless um, you understand the nature of the beast, which is that there are some films that stand a better shot than others. I mean, I always say every year, right, that you know, anybody who thinks it was a bad year in movies hasn't seen enough. But the truth is that that statement is only, I think, validated by paying attention to movies beyond the Oscar conversation, because there's usually only a handful of titles that have the resources or the opportunity or the luck to be sort of pushed into that narrative one way or another and there's so many other films we could be talking about that are irrelevant to that conversation and that's where I think critics groups have a real opportunity however I do see the argument that the Oscars could have elevated some of those films as well if they didn't go later I just think the Academy would like to be accommodating for Hollywood and the studio system in a way that perhaps critics groups don't need to. So, so let's move on because I think one thing we should acknowledge about the fall festivals is that we don't know anything because we haven't been informed enough about how these festivals are going to work. We, we know that there are 
dates in which we expect updates that sometime in the next few weeks, probably by the end of this month, we'll, we'll have a sense of the operational plans for Toronto by mid-July. Hopefully we'll know something about Telluride, but all of this is plugged into this larger conversation about when is it going to be safe to go anywhere? I mean, tenant finally, after all this back and forth, is not opening July 17th. Uh, Memento is. So if you want to try out going to a movie theater, you can do it then. But I do find it fascinating that they just inched it up to the end of the month, like just a couple weeks later. So there's still this feasibility that a giant summer movie could open before we get into August, just isn't barely. It in, but... Isn't it Inception? Inception? Is it Inception that they're opening on July? So, so okay, I get my Nolans confused in a very Nolan it, It's but... okay. I mean, they're, they're basically ramping up and they weren't really ready and COVID cases are going up in a lot of places. Uh, Really disturbing. Two weeks is such a small amount of time to push that movie. These are big theater chains. I mean, I find it fascinating that a chain like Regal, for example, would actually not require their customers to wear masks in a movie theater. I mean, yeah. a lot of police officers aren't wearing masks right now. The whole thing about masks it's in the whole country has been completely you could almost you could almost go to Orange County here, uh, Ventura County. These are where the cases are going up. The places where people don't wear masks are where the cases are going up. And in Oklahoma, uh, and, and, and cases are going up in all kinds of places anyway because this thing is very unpredictable. And as uh, Fauci said recently, the whole question of whether there will be a second wave is irrelevant right now because we're still in the first one. Correct. So, Absolutely you know, right. The, and, and also all this stuff about fall festivals and then leading into next year and the questions about can there be a Sundance Film Festival? Can there, there be a Berlin be a second Film wave. That could be a second wave. So do we do we think that April, you know, as an Oscar date is unreasonable? Unreason, I mean, we could still be in this, you know, 12 to 18 months is a pandemic timeline in human history. So it's really hard to say for certain how any of this stuff is going to play out. And I think that open-ended question is what makes it so hard to say, this is the right way to do it. So I don't blame anyone for taking a risk and trying something, even if it's not exactly the right way to do it. I support it. what the Oscars have done. I, I completely support it. And, and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch the whole thing play out. And, uh, and, and we all have to abide by what turns out to be safe. What they are doing is ramping up production and Ridley Scott, you know, wants to get back into Ireland and, and finish uh, The Last Duel. And now he doesn't have to finish it in time for the end of December to qualify. He can, he can have more time. And, and maybe yeah, I mean, this is a, he doesn't thing, put his 82-year-old life at risk. I know? do find that kind of thing a little annoying, though, because it's like we're operating under the assumption that because he's a, a revered auteur, which he is, that this movie's good enough to warrant a slot in award season. Not every Ridley Scott movie is an Oscar movie. I mean, it's uh, that 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 aspect of this, you know, always kind of bugs me. And, and that's why I wouldn't mind seeing a different set of movies getting into the conversation, even if, you know, it goes beyond the critics groups. I mean, we'll see this what happens. This is gonna happens. be the year where they're gonna hope against all hopes that there's some big movies in Oscar contention. Trust me, that's still a factor with ABC, a practical factor. And they don't start. want a list of 10 uh, art films to be running for uh, the Oscar. They no, don't want that No, but maybe we can get two all. or three in. Let's get a few in there anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's- Fine, every year, uh, Moonlight won. <laughs> Great, I mean, I- Parasite won. 
that's the thing. It's like doing too well. That's what the academy is worried about. Is this is this what had to happen for for Parasite to win Best Picture? I mean, it's like it feels like we're being punished for wanting the yeah. art of cinema to win. They're being practical. They want to have a big attendance for the Oscars, and they want to have as many possible big movies in contention as they can. And The Last Duel and West Side Story and Movies like that are certainly what they're hoping uh, will be in, in contention. Hey, and, and now West Side Story doesn't have to worry about competing within the Heights because that's, that's right. uh, going into next year. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of fascinating to think about all these films that are still big films that are still in the 2020 calendar. I mean, to me, it's like... I'm they may not thinking, stay there, Eric, yeah. that is the point. I just can't, I can't picture it. I mean, maybe January and February. Optimistic. But how many movies can open in January and February? I mean, even that, it's, it's like, it's hard to picture it. Are you going to launch West Side Story at Sundance? I mean, well, I'm going to say something else. Christmas is still Christmas. Christmas is still a big prime box office time when everybody's on vacation. But this year, it may not make any difference if no one's going to the theaters. Yeah. I don't know I mean, whether Christmas they're going is still back. Christmas. There will be tons of families gathering together, probably in larger groups than they should be. So it's the ideal time for premium VOD releases. That's and right. And we, they may be in the habit of saving money on those. I mean, one of the things that came up in that um, panel that we did uh, about theaters, returning to theaters, was that, that the... Uh, the way that the theaters have chosen to um, to compete and to make themselves a real destination for audiences just to upgrade and and get better seats and get better quality that's all good that but they've been spending money and they've been charging high prices for their for their tickets and I just wonder if they're gonna have to pull that all back to get people back in theaters lower ticket prices and make it a little more right. inviting we are hearing that there is some discussion about that potential, right? I mean, that's yeah. sort of, there's been a lot of back and forth in that respect. I mean, for every person you'll find who's eager to go outside here in New York, the weather got nice and I'm certainly seeing a lot of those. You do see a lot of people, whether what they're saying on social media or whatever, saying that they just, they're gonna wait it out and they're gonna keep waiting it out. So you can't be reliant on the big crowd factor in the same way, which is just so fascinating to think about from a campaign standpoint, right? I mean, we go to these festivals and we see all these people. It's like, oh, look, there's Gary Oldman at the water cooler. And then six months later or whatever, he wins an Oscar for, um, you know, for this biopic that he's launching in Telluride. That kind of stuff's not going to happen this year, even if Telluride happens. Not in the same way. Well, that biopic is Mank and that's Netflix. So it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. They can do whatever they need to do. They can do virtual events up the wazoo in every possible platform that they need to get into. So I think it's going to be really fascinating to track that conversation. I mean, how do you generate buzz in this space? We've talked about that before, but now that we have a real date, I think it's going to be really interesting as we as we keep going through these things. I mean, the one thing that I've, I've noticed in all of this is that nobody has thrown in the towel in a complete sense, right? Can was canceled, but as Thierry Fermeau told us last week, they don't want to use the word canceled, and they still selected 56 movies, and that slate is going to travel around. Some of those films are in the market. It can't say, so, you know, they're going to be at other festivals. They're going to have a life. You know, even South by Southwest, which was officially canceled, found a way to do things with some of its lineup. So I think that 
what's going to be fascinating to see is that you're not, you're never going to get to a point where award season is canceled. Even if you can't have Oscars in a traditional sense, we're going to have something and it's not going to look anything like what we're predicting. It's probably going to look like five minutes of it. Hey, look, you and I have a job to do, right? And we're, we're keeping track of what's going on and it's breaking and, and it is never a dull moment right now. We're in a whole new uh, universe. The part that's really uh, scary for people is that they've been accustomed to doing things a certain way and everything is getting shaken up. And all the people who thought they knew how to run an Oscar campaign, if we're talking about that, um, it, it, they don't know how to do it right now. They're gonna have to really ride with the information that's coming at them and the dates that are coming and figure it out a whole new way. And I think that's sort of fun. I'm one of those people who likes to adapt to new realities it, it, within reason. Uh, no one likes to adapt to COVID, do they? Right. Well, it's not really possible to adapt to it as we found because it keeps changing and the situation is ever evolving in ways that nobody alive right now has any true precedent for. But it is worth pointing out as, as it has been many times in the last few weeks in our space that you know, the studio system really kind of came together in the aftermath of the 1918 pandemic and we may be on the precipice of some greater institutional change involving the way that our you know, who holds the power in our industry and every aspect of how films are and, and TV and all content is sort of put out into the world and celebrated and, and, and um, you know, sort of uh, positioned in a way that, that can be seen as an achievement. I mean, I, I don't know if the Oscars are going to lose their relevance after this year, but it's hard to imagine that they, the season will be exactly the same after being shaken up in such a dramatic way. Well, so. the, world, the world is changing and all the forces that were heading in a certain direction are accelerating in that same direction. <laughs> so Netflix really is the king of the hill at the moment and Apple and Disney Plus and, and uh, Hulu, which is also Disney. Um, and uh, uh, they're all coming into, into their own. So I guess next week, oh, Max too. <laughs> oh yeah, have you had a chance to explore it much? Uh, I looked at it when it first uh, launched, really, and and wandered around. I'm much more, um, I'm much more looking at uh, Hulu and uh, and uh, Disney Plus than I am HBO Max. That doesn't mean I don't want to. I'd love to explore the Warner Archive, the HBO Archive, and the pretty Turner strong, Plus. yeah. Okay. I just haven't. That's I'm I'm on Emmy duty right now. I think it's it's one of the more impressive ones of the major streamers that have launched in in the last couple of months. But like everything else, it's going to take some time to see how this new landscape settles. And I'll certainly be super curious to see if um, you know six months from now we'll be talking about the quote unquote streaming wars in the way that we were as we anticipated their launch. Because I wanted the studios to go vertical with their libraries a long time ago. I saw that that's what they should do. And they held on to those windows as long as they possibly could. And the thing about HBO Max is that they haven't, they've having trouble with the branding of HBO Go and HBO Now and everybody's- It's all just one thing now. And they've applied it finally. We'll see if it gets better. The searching of the site is more challenging than it should be. For well, sure. if all else fails, just open up Criterion Channel. That's all <laughs> I gotta say. It really is amazing how well curated Criterion Channel is. And there are some other really good sort of niche sites. You know, we, we have this Streaming Wars indie column that covers a lot of them. 
that are worth exploring. But Criterion is just so amazing to me because it shows you that having a really good library and a nice way to showcase it, that's kind of enough for a user experience. You don't always need some flashy new thing. And because they keep their overhead low, it doesn't have to be a giant success story either. So I feel like that's been a nice sort of contrast of the sure. way you know, these big, big companies and stuff. Well, by the case, way, I did, I did uh, do a bit of a hype job on the five bloods because I do think it's going to be um, a serious Oscar contender. And it's been fun watching all the people recommending all the Spike Lee movies that they should see. And, and I've weighed in on, on my favorites. And um, I do want to recommend uh, for people who are catching up with his over, because I think there are a lot of films that people have missed over the years. He's been making movies for 30 years. I do recommend oh, Crooklyn. Yeah, Crooklyn oh, is, 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 especially if you want to know more about Spike Lee, because it's his autobiographical film and his, and Alfre Woodard plays his mother and Delroy Lindo, who's so good into Five Bloods and might get nominated for that performance as a Vietnam vet. He's incredibly good in, in Crooklyn as well. Very moving performance. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's a fascinating filmography because, you know, you could argue that there are a handful of you know, masterpiece level works or these like sort of towering achievements, whether on the, on the you know, narrative side, you've got things like Malcolm X, maybe Black Klansman. And then on the doc side, you got When the Levees Broke, but then you have also these smaller, weirder films. I mean, even, you know, in that strange period where he was doing stuff like Chirac and The Sweet Blood of Jesus. And I think a lot of people checked out on Spike for a couple of years. If you go and watch those movies, a lot of them are flawed, but fascinating. And there's way there's more There's always good stuff. He always yeah, indulges himself. What's fun about him, which I, I defend, is that he sticks to his guns. He has his own way of doing things and he doesn't want anybody telling him that he should be changing his editing style or not doing the tracking shot with, with the people walking and the floor moving or whatever that thing is called. You know, you're sitting through like two hours movie. plus of that in Defy Bloods and you're like, where's the tracking shot? Where's the tracking shot? And finally there's it. a tracking He's going to do it. And he did it, you know, very quickly. And he puts in inserts of people from history and he puts in... Um, addicts. That was amazing. I, the movie know, is, is also, all over also, the place, but it's The Terrence Blanchard score is sometimes intrusive in a way yeah. that it shouldn't be. But he I, he I can't help care. himself. No, it's it's all it's it's like uh, one that's of those minor rare... stuff. The good stuff is good. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's one of those rare opportunities to see with an art form that's so collaborative and often very costly what a pure unfiltered voice looks like, especially in American cinema, which is so rare. And it and you know you look at a, a great painting you don't say like that painting is a little rough around the edges usually if it's from a great artist it's from a great artist and you acknowledge that and I think that's what you have to look that's the framework for looking at a Spike Lee joint and for this film it's especially impressive to see how much of that comes through and I bet it's really successful on Netflix even if we don't know the numbers which Apparently is also it started off very very strong and, and fell off just judging from the 10 best thing that they but that's they, all relative right I, it's still I, probably I a lot and it'll were. be there forever know. We don't know if it's way, way, way high and just come down a bit or, you know, whether it's not playing well. We don't well, know. To bring the conversation full circle. So you, you did write a thing before the Oscar date was formalized about how it's got, it, it could be a real contender. But it's important to point out the Oscars are yeah. a long time from now. So they're going to have to essentially reintroduce that movie. I don't 
think Black Lives Matter is going anywhere, uh, Black Lives Matter. I think that, that the fact that Spike has been such a spokesperson for it um, and, and such an articulate uh, explainer of, uh, and, and by the way, the clip from uh, Radio Rahim from Do the Right Thing. I mean, if you looked at that again, how he portrayed the death of Radio Rahim, it kills you, you know? It kills him. It's it's extraordinary. So yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think that's going anywhere. Well, no, I mean, but the that's the the point is that Spike is is celebrated in a way that is is completely singular in our society. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the movie itself is going to be celebrated in that same, uh, you know, sort of scale. I mean, it's 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 going to be an interesting conversation. If somebody wanted to campaign against it, I think they could find some ways to poke holes in that, especially if Netflix has other you know films that they want to push along so it'll be interesting to see how it goes for this film versus like we said Mank or something like that but um you know I'm all about keeping Spike in the conversation as long as possible he's somehow still underappreciated in our culture so you know but let's get never rarely sometimes always some Oscar nominations too while we're at it fine by me uh Kelly Reichard's first cow can find its way back to theaters and we'll squeeze that in there for uh, an amazing director category with uh, Spike Lee and two women It'll be, it'll be historic in so many ways. I can't wait. So, um, so now that we figured out award season, next week, I guess, we'll get a chance to uh, look ahead to some of the other changes. Hopefully, we'll get an update on the Golden Globes and um, some other aspects involving theaters reopening. But, uh, Anne, I hope you're staying safe and, and sane and, and getting a little bit of outdoor time with a mask on uh, when you can. When there's nobody around, the mask comes off. <laughs> oh On that note, I'll see you soon. All right, bye.